book one chapter twenty four of the mystical city of god volume three by the venerable sister mary of jesus of agreda this librivox recording is in the public domain book one chapter twenty four our saviour jesus goes to the banks of the jordan where he is baptized by saint john saint john himself then asked to be baptized by the saviour leaving his beloved mother in the poor dwelling at nazareth our redeemer without accompaniment of any human creature but altogether taken up with the exercise of his most ardent charity pursued his journey to the jordan where in the neighborhood of a town called bethany otherwise called betharaba on the farther side of the bank his precursor was preaching and baptizing at the first steps from the house our redeemer raising his eyes to the eternal father offered up to him anew with an infinite love whatever he was now about to begin for the salvation of mankind his labors sorrows passion and death of the cross assumed for them in obedience to the eternal will the natural grief at parting as a true and loving son from his mother and at leaving her sweet company which for twenty-nine years he had now enjoyed the lord of all creation walked alone without show and ostentation of human retinue the supreme king of kings and lord of lords apocalypse chapter nineteen verse sixteen was unknown and despised by his own vassals vassals so much his own that they owed their life and preservation entirely to him his royal outfit was nothing but the utmost poverty and destitution as the evangelists have passed over in silence the doings of our saviour during his early years and so many other circumstances of his life which were most real and most worthy of our attention and since our gross forgetfulness is so much accustomed to pass over unnoticed what has not been written we therefore examine and consider so little the immensity of his blessings and of his measureless love by which he has enriched us so much and has sought us to bind us to him with so many bonds of charity hosea chapter eleven verse four o eternal love of the only begotten of the father o delight and life of my soul how little known and much less acknowledged is thy most burning love why o lord and sweet love of my soul dost thou exhibit so many artifices of love so many watchings and sufferings for those whom thou needest not and who will neither correspond nor attend to thy favours not any more than if they had been offered but deceit and buffoonery o hearts of men more rude and fierce than that of wild beasts what has hardened you so what detains you what oppresses you and makes you so sluggish that you will not follow thankfully in the ways of your benefactor o lamentable illusion and aberration of the human understanding what mortal lethargy has come over it who has blotted out from its memory such infallible truths and such memorable benefits and even thy own true happiness are we of flesh and have our senses who has made us more hard and insensible than are the rocks and stony mountain heights why do we not wake up and recover some of our sensibility at the sight of the benefits of our redemption at the words of a prophet the dead bones came to life and moved about ezekiel chapter thirty seven verse ten but we resist the words and exertions of him who gives life and being to all so defective is our earthly love so great our forgetfulness accept me then o my lord and light of my soul 
except this vile wormlet of the earth which creeps along in order to meet thy beautiful footsteps now begun in search of me by them thou raisest me to the certain hope of finding in thee the truth the way and the delights of eternal life i possess nothing wherewith to repay thee my beloved except thy own goodness and love and the being which through them thou hast given me less than thy own self cannot be paid for the infinite bounty thou hast shown to me thirsting after thy love i go to meet thee on the way do not o oh my lord and master take away and deprive her of the vision of thy clemency whom in her poverty thou hast sought so diligently and lovingly life of my soul and soul of my life as i have not been so fortunate as to merit to see thee bodily in this life and in that blessed age of thy earthly life let me at least be a daughter of thy holy church let me be a part of this mystical body and the congregation of thy faithful in this life so full of dangers in this frail flesh in these times of calamity and tribulations do i live but i cry out from its profound depths i sigh from the bottom of my heart for thy infinite merits that i shall share them i have the assurance of faith the spur of hope and the claims of holy charity look down then upon thy humble slave in order to make me thankful for such great blessings meek of heart constant in love and entirely comfortable and pleasing to thy holy will while proceeding on his way to the jordan our saviour dispensed his ancient mercies by relieving the necessities of body and soul in many of those whom he encountered at different places yet this was always done in secret for before his baptism he gave no public token of his divine power and his exalted office before appearing at the jordan he filled the heart of st john with new light and joy which changed and elevated his soul perceiving these new workings of grace within himself he reflected upon them full of wonder saying what mystery is this what presentiments of happiness from the moment when i recognized the presence of my lord in the womb of my mother i have not felt such stirring of my soul as now is it possible that he is now happily come or that the saviour of the world is now near me upon this enlightenment of the baptist followed an intellectual vision wherein he perceived with greater clearness the mystery of the hypostatic union of the person of the word with the humanity and other mysteries of the redemption in the fullness of this intellectual light he gave the testimonies which are recorded by st john in his gospel and which occurred while the lord was in the desert and afterwards when he returned to the banks of the jordan the evangelist mentions one of these public testimonies as happening at the interpolation of the jews and the other when the precursor exclaimed behold the lamb of god as i shall narrate later on john chapter one verse thirty six although the baptist had been instructed in great mysteries when he was commanded to go forth to preach and baptize yet all of them were manifested to him anew and with greater clearness and abundance on this occasion and he was then notified that the saviour of the world was coming to be baptized the lord then joined the multitude and asked baptism of st john as one of the rest the baptist knew him and falling at his feet hesitated saying i have need of being baptized and thou lord askest baptism of me as is recorded by st matthew but the saviour answered suffer it to be so now for so it becometh us to fulfil all justice 
Matthew chapter 3 verse 14. By thus hesitating to baptize Christ his Lord, and asking him for baptism instead, he gave evidence that he recognized him as the true Redeemer, and there is no contradiction between this and what St. John records of the Baptist, as saying to the Jews, And I knew him not, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining, he it is that baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw him, and I gave testimony that this is the Son of God. John chapter 1 verses 33 and 34. There is also no contradiction between these words of St. John and those of St. Matthew, for the testimony of heaven and the voice of the eternal Father over Christ on the banks of the Jordan happened when the precursor had the vision mentioned in the preceding paragraph. Hence he had not seen Christ bodily until then, and could therefore deny having known Christ, at least in the same way as he then knew him. For just because he knew Christ then, both by sight and by intellectual vision, he prostrated himself at the feet of the Savior. When St. John had finished baptizing our Lord, the heavens opened, and the Holy Ghost descended visibly in the form of a dove upon his head, and the voice of his father was heard. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 Many of the bystanders heard this voice, namely, those who were not unworthy of such a wonderful favor. They also saw the Holy Ghost descending upon the Savior. This was the most convincing proof which could ever be given of the divinity of the Savior, as well on the part of the Father, who acknowledged him as his Son, as also in regard to the nature of the testimony given, for without any reserve was Christ manifested as the true God, equal to his eternal Father in substance and in perfection. The Father himself wished to be the first to testify to the divinity of Christ, in order that by virtue of his testimony all the other witnesses might be ratified. There was also another mystery in this voice of the Eternal Father. It was, as it were, a restoration of the honor of his Son before the world, and a recompense for his having thus humiliated himself by receiving the baptism of the remission of sins, though he was entirely free from fault, and never could have upon him the guilt of sin. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 this act of humiliation in receiving baptism in the company of those who were sinners, Christ our Redeemer offered up to the Eternal Father as an act of acknowledgment of the inferiority of his human nature, which, in common with all the rest of the children of men, he had derived from Adam. By it, he also instituted the sacrament of baptism, which was to wash away the sins of the world through his merits. By thus humiliating himself in this baptism of sins, he sought and obtained from the Eternal Father a general pardon for all those who were to receive it. He freed them from the power of the demon and of sin, and regenerated them to a new existence, spiritual and supernatural as adopted sons of the Most High, brethren of their Redeemer and Lord. The past, present, and future sins of men, always remaining in the sight of the Eternal Father, had prevented the effects of this baptism. But Christ our Lord merited the application of this so easy and delightful remedy, so that the Eternal Father was obliged to accept it in justice, as a complete satisfaction according to all the requirements of his equity. 
Christ was also not deterred from thus securing this remedy by his foreknowledge of the abuse of holy baptism by so many mortals in all ages, and of its neglect by innumerable others. All these impediments and hindrances Christ our Lord removed by satisfying for their offenses, humiliating himself, and assuming the form of a sinner in his baptism. Romans chapter 8 verse 3. This is the meaning of the words, Suffer it to be so now, for so it becometh us to fulfill all justice. Then in order to honor the incarnate word, and in recompense for his humiliation, and in order to approve of baptism, and establish its wonderful efficacy, the Eternal Father gave forth his voice, and the Holy Ghost descended. Thus was Christ proclaimed as the true Son of God, and all three persons of the Holy Trinity ratified the sacramental rite of baptism. The great Baptist was the one who reaped the greatest fruit from these wonders of holy baptism, for he not only baptized his Redeemer and Master, saw the Holy Ghost and the celestial light descending upon the Lord, together with innumerable angels, heard the voice of the Father, and saw many other mysteries by divine revelation. But besides all this, he himself was baptized by the Redeemer. The Gospel indeed says no more than that he asked for it, but at the same time, it also does not say that it was denied him. For without a doubt, Christ, after his own baptism, conferred it also on his precursor and Baptist. It was he that instituted this sacrament afterwards, as he made it a general law, and enjoined the public ministration of it upon the apostles after the resurrection. As I shall relate later on, it was also the Lord who baptized his most holy mother before its general promulgation, and he, on that occasion, established the form in which baptism was to be administered. These facts were made known to me, and also that St. John was the first fruit of the baptism of Christ our Lord and of the church, which he founded in this sacrament. Through it, the Baptist received the character of a Christian, together with a great plentitude of grace, since he had not upon him original sin, for he had been justified by the Redeemer before he was born, as was said in its place. By the answer of the Savior, Suffer it to be so now, that all justice be fulfilled. He did not refuse it, but he deferred St. John's baptism until he himself should have been baptized and have fulfilled the requirements of God's justice. Immediately after his own baptism, he baptized St. John, gave him his blessing, and betook himself to the desert. Let us return now to the main subject of this history, namely, to the occupations of our great queen and lady. As soon as her most holy son was baptized, although she knew, by the divine light of his movements, the holy angels who attended upon their Lord, brought her intelligence of all that had happened at the Jordan. They were those that carried the ensigns and shields of the Passion of the Savior, as described in the first part. To celebrate all these mysteries of Christ's baptism and the public proclamation of his divinity, the most prudent mother composed new hymns and canticles of praise and of incomparable thanksgiving to the Most High and to the Incarnate Word. All his actions of humility and prayers she imitated, exerting herself by many acts of her own to accompany and follow him in all of them. With ardent charity, she interceded for men, that they might profit by the sacrament of baptism, and that it might be administered all over the world. 
in addition to these prayers and hymns of thanksgiving she asked the heavenly courtiers to help her in magnifying her most holy son for having thus humiliated himself in receiving baptism at the hands of one of his creatures instruction which the queen of heaven most holy mary gave me my daughter since in recounting to thee the works of my most holy son i so often remind thee how thankfully i appreciated them thou canst understand how pleasing to the most high is the faithful correspondence on thy part and the great mysteries of his blessings connected with it thou art poor in the house of the lord a sinner insignificant and useless as dust yet i ask thee to assume the duty of rendering ceaseless thanks for all the incarnate word has done for the sons of adam and for establishing the holy and immaculate the powerful and perfect law for their salvation especially shouldst thou be thankful for the institution of baptism by which he frees men from the tyranny of the devil fills them with grace clothes them with justice and assists them to sin no more this is indeed a duty incumbent upon all men in common but since creatures neglect it almost entirely i enjoin thee to give thanks for all of them as if thou alone wert responsible for them thou art bound to the lord for other things to special thankfulness because he has shown himself so generous to none among other nations as he has with thee in the foundation of his holy law and of his sacraments thou wert present in his memory he called and chose thee as a daughter of his church proposing to nourish thee by his own blood with infinite love and if the author of grace my most holy son as a prudent and wise artificer in order to found his evangelical church and lay its first foundations in the sacrament of baptism humiliated himself prayed and fulfilled all justice acknowledging the inferiority of his human nature and if though at the same time god and man he hesitated not to lower himself to the nothingness of which his purest soul was created and his human being formed how much must thou humiliate thyself who hast committed sins and art less than the dust and despicable ashes confess that in justice thou meritest only punishment the persecution and wrath of all the creatures that none of the mortals who has offended his creator and redeemer can say in truth that any injustice or offence is done to them if all the tribulations and afflictions of the world from its beginning to its end were to fall upon them since all sinned in adam first letter to the corinthians chapter fifteen verse twenty two how deeply should they humiliate themselves when the hand of the lord visits them job chapter nineteen verse twenty one if thou shouldest suffer all the afflictions of men with the utmost resignation and at the same time wouldest fulfil all that i enjoin upon thee by my teachings and exhortations with the greatest fidelity thou nevertheless must esteem thyself as a useless and unprofitable servant luke chapter seventeen verse ten how much then must thou humiliate thyself when thou failest so much in thy duty and in the return due to all the blessings received from god as i desire thee to make a proper return both for thyself and for others think well how much thou art obliged to annihilate thyself to the very dust not offering any resistance nor ever being satisfied until the most high receive thee as his daughter and accept thee as such in his own presence 
and in the celestial vision of the triumphant Jerusalem. End of chapter 24